this is Dr. Jerry Jaffe, and welcome to the Comical Heathen. It's been a couple months since our last episode, sorry for the delay. Lately I've been busy directing a play and doing some other work. But this holiday season should provide me with some time to get some more episodes up. And I am particularly excited about this episode, Delay or No Delay. I stopped into Big Tommy's, a comedy club in suburban Detroit, where I met up with my good friend Chili Chalice. Known especially for his work as a writer for Jay Leno and The Tonight Show, Chili's a touring headliner, based now in Michigan, where he also runs his dojo, mentoring comedians of every skill level. Anyway, in his own act, he doesn't usually do much satire or politics, so I asked him why. We also talked about writing for Jay Leno, who is famously not edgy, especially on The Tonight Show. Along the way, Chili gives some of his experiences and opinions of some comedy greats like Richard Pryor, Bill Hicks, and also Will Durst. After my interview, I will give you an update from The Rabbit Hutch. The Jaffe family has a new edition I'm eager to tell you about. And also, I'm going to give you my reaction to a newspaper article I found on the alternative medicine practice of salt rooms. So hang around for that. Hey, make sure you like us on iTunes and leave us a friendly comment. Anyway, next is my interview with Chili Chalice. Welcome to the Comical Heathen. I'm your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe. This is the podcast where we talk about the ins and outs of religious satire. And here to uh, help me out tonight is my good friend, comedy writer, comedy coach, and touring headliner, Chelly Chalice. I do a lot. I you do, do a lot. lot. Of stuff. And now a uh, film star. And now film so, star. <laughs> I, uh, so I actually got a part in a little movie, a little film short, and I had lines. And, uh, Excellent. So play an old Vietnam vet. So okay. Kind of look at me. That makes sense. So, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. We'll include a photo of Chili on the web page for this, so make sure you look up so you know what Chili looks yeah. like. <laughs> I'm known as Uncle Hippie. That'll tip you off to anything. Hashtag Uncle Hippie. I often see you when you're performing wearing tie-dye, so it's a, yeah. today you're wearing a different hippie shirt. <laughs> I am, yeah. It's got the little peace symbol on it. Yes. So this marks me right now. I think there's neo-Nazis out yes. there looking for the peace symbol to beat right. people up. And right, stuff, so. so let people know where you stand. Yes, yes. Yes, put yourself in danger. That's what the hippies were all about. <laughs> so on this podcast, I just like to get people's insights or vibes about religious satire. Now just people will know if they don't know. I've known you for many years. I've seen you perform many times. Occasionally have the honor of performing with you. Oh, my goodness. I only mention that besides in the spirit of full disclosure. But to say, <laughs> having seen your act many times, I wouldn't think religious satire Mm. Right off the bat, when I think about no. this kind of material you do. No, no. Uh-uh. Is there, I, is there I, a reason for that or a feeling about that? Um, yeah, I, you know, um, it, it can be tough. Mm-hmm. It can, you know, I, was, I tried to build an act. Uh, I was kind of a child of the comedy clubs. You sure. know, I was born in that boom. Uh, right. You know, uh, the early 80s, 80, 81, and uh, there was a new club every week. So sure. I learned quickly that you kind of had to... Um, Mm-hmm. Be careful in the Bible Belt and, sure. and everywhere. Not just you can't blame the Bible Belt everywhere. <laughs> you know that if you brought up anything religious, it was kind of. I I just wanted to keep my stuff just kind of fun and non-controversial. Okay. And but honestly, if I'd have thought of something really funny, I would have <laughs> jumped into it. I I I used to do a bit uh, about uh, sleeping and having nightmares, or uh, you wake up and you think you're in heaven, and okay. you're like, hey, I think. I think I'm in heaven. I think, is that Hitler? Oh, hell. <laughs> really cheap joke, but, you know, got the point across, got to laugh. So. Well, something I heard Bill Maher say is that when he was maybe going through a similar, like his early days as a comedy club comedian, if he did religious jokes, it was very, like, 
lighthearted, almost like kidding jokes. Yeah, yeah, stuff uh, that everybody would laugh, yeah. laugh at, you know. So you, you just have to be careful, and and it's and it's sometimes it's the people that <laughs> don't even read the Bible; they okay. just hear the name Jesus and think you're making fun of sure. something just because you brought it up, and it's in a comedy club, you know. So in your coaching sessions. Um, do you come across many writers or comedians who want to struggling with how or whether or not to do religious satire or yeah, satire? Yeah, yeah. There's there's actually a lot of them. There's there's people that go to they're in that niche. If you right. want to say they do comedy in churches and things like okay. that, you have to be ultimate. You know, you have but, to be very clean. Sure. And, and yeah. But not watch. satire. But that's more of like oh, a Christian yeah. comedy. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Not satire. No, yeah, yeah. No, no. You don't. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, have, I have people ask me for coaching on that, and, and basically I tell them they got to watch it. I, yeah. I, that's all, you know, especially right. if you're in you're in the Bible belts and some places down south, it's right. a little tighter. Right. You know, so well, I once got the advice from someone that if you're in the middle of a bit and it's just not working, you have to learn how to get off the bit as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know what? And, and that's easier than, than you think it is. You know, a lot of these kids think, oh, man, you know, kids are yeah, all yeah. 40. You know, yes. comedy right now, but that's kids to me. They think it's really hard to change, but honest to God, it's easy to go. Well, I thought this was funny, but thank you for uh, trying it out. I'll switch right. gears here. What else is there going on in Something I don't like, and you never see pros or headliners do this. This is more open mic or local comedy scene. Someone does something, could be satire, religious satire, even just like anything edgy, or they perceive as edgy, and it doesn't get a laugh. The next move is to blame the audience. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you're not smart enough for that joke, or yeah, you know, you know. yeah. You know what? I try not to do that. Yeah. Honest to goodness, I tr uh, I I try to blame myself. Right. Um, but it's the only way I, to get better. It, yeah, and it's really hard to blame the audience and then have them still like you. Right. You know, I I have watched comics do a total flip out on mm -hmm. a heckler, and they might even be correct at the time. Right. But they will break that fourth wall. Right. They will be this nasty person. They will be mm -hmm. throwing f words at this poor schmuck. Right. And then go back to like, okay, so the other day my dog and I, <laughs> and it, they've lost it. Right. But they don't seem to grasp that 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 happens, you know. Shelly, another famous stop on the Chili Chalice journey was being a writer for Jay Leno and the Tonight Show. Correct. Yeah. When did you do that? Like what years approximately? Uh, I started immediately as soon as I found out that he was interested in having writers fax him jokes. Like, okay. And so I grabbed a hold of him really quick in 92. Okay. And uh, he offered me a chance to send in jokes to the show. Okay. And I simply wrote my way on the show. Okay. I just sent I was fanatical. I was obsessed <laughs> with it. I mean, in those days, I had to carry my own fax machine. Oh, my goodness. Which, you know, were as big sure. as a truck. And you know, I mean, and you do these one-nighters. Right. I'd have to move into a hotel room, bring copiers, <laughs> fax machine, my word processor, right. which was as big as a Volkswagen in those yeah. days. But I would do that. I would mm. do that at every gig, and I'd watch re religiously. <laughs> I would watch the Tonight Show every night. I'd record the sets and do a show, run out of the show, run back to the hotel room, check it out. And uh, I did that from like 92 until in the mid-90s, he finally just called me up like Jay loves to do. Right. And he's like, hey, I cleaned out a broom closet. Uh, okay. That should be an office space. You want a job? And I'm like, well, yes, I do, please. So 
was that the, there. Was that the first time Jay Leno ever called you? Um, Have you talked to him before that? You, you, it's pretty close. He invited <laughs> me up to Chicago once. They took the road, the show on the road, and they did a theater in Chicago. Okay. And he knew that was a little closer to me. So he invited me in for the day, and I wrote with the staff. And I had okay. a feeling I was pretty close. Sure. Uh, to being hired. So you met him then? Yeah, yeah, I met him then. That was a huge thing. Right. And uh, it was a good thing. So one of the things that, um, especially in the context of like the late night wars, mm -hmm. he was seen as less edgy mm -hmm. and a little more like comfortable for middle America. He was. I, mm -hmm. I mean, that was by choice. There, there was, we always used to say there were two Jay Leno's. Okay. There was uh, the guy that put on the suit for the show right and there was a guy that wore the denim all day <laughs> you know and it really was it the guy okay. that wore the denim all day could be very edgy toss okay. the f word around he would never forget if you made one mistake he was always on you right but there was this nice guy out there performing right. for middle america at night right. so it was by choice he he knew the line he wanted to walk and mm -hmm. that was it so I'm going to guess on a nightly basis there wasn't much call for religious satire I mean, he would do the day, news of the day satire. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, there, we didn't do a lot of stuff. That that yeah. would that often would get rejected, so writers just wouldn't <laughs> spend a lot of time, you know, because you had to you had to right. send in paper, and right. he would look at a joke and he'd put a little dog print by it if he liked it. Okay. Which meant he was going to use it for the show. Okay. So being dogged by him, because his production <laughs> company is Big Dog Production. Okay. So if you saw that little footprint by your joke, you knew yep. the joke was at least being considered for the show. Because right. it would go from that to little three-by-five cards okay. that he would carry around all day. And okay. him and Jimmy Brogan, another writer, would just sit and look at these things. Okay. And they would they would get it down to 25 hmm. for the show. Right. So uh, as long as I have a chance to uh, to pick your brain about it, I, I do want to ask you would sometimes go along with the jaywalking crew. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I did. I, I, I was often picked for that. What was that scene like? Like what was the day uh, of jaywalking? Like? Uh, really, we, we stood on a street corner and we had our question for the day. And okay. oftentimes the writer that came up with the question would be the one that would go along mm -hmm. with Jay. We usually had like two writers. Right. And uh, generally, just stopping these people and asking them the question, you know, which, right. and it, it it was a fun thing, but it was difficult because <laughs> you had to think really fast. Right. We would stand off camera, okay, uh, where Jay could see us, and we had right. kind of big blue cards, right, and you know, and a, and a pen. And while he was talking to the person, if we thought of a good mm -hmm. question, we'd write it real quick right. and hold it up. And if you ever noticed, you'd see Jay's eyes kind of go to the <laughs> left. He was reading the card, and then he, it made him look like he was fine. Even yeah. though he was very good at yes, it, of course. It, it, it was nice to be able to have that. It was very immediate. So. Sure. I was actually the one that uh, put, Jay, uh, put uh, Kid Rock on television for the first time. Really? How did we you manage were, that? He was just there. He showed up. We were on Melrose Avenue, and uh, I looked down the street, because that was kind of our job, too, right. to be the barker, to get people that were interesting and... Uh, Look like they'd be fun on camera. Right, sure. Here come this guy in the top hat with these two just hottie <laughs> chicks, and I was like, "Jay, we got to get that guy." And he's like, "Hey, get him, get him!" And uh, sure enough, that's how he said his name. We got him on camera, and Jay said, "What's your name?" And he goes, "Kid Rock." And Jay's typical Jay's like, "So your your parents are Mr. and Mrs. Rock?" And he's like, "Yeah, something like that." So. Uh, the bottom line was he did such a great job, we made him the star of the show. 
okay. which meant he got the most time. Okay. And uh, and afterwards, he was so happy with it, he handed me his CD, which okay. I immediately tried to give away. Right. Because, you know, who knew? Uh, yeah, We didn't know who this guy was. I like, kid, sure. Rock, anybody want this? And yeah. Nobody really did, so I kept it. Now it's like a prize. Oh, yeah. Thing, you know. And, if you uh, walk and, around the streets of L.A., people are handing you CDs. Yo, they like are. They scripts. Worse than religious pamphlets. Oh, yeah. They're constantly <laughs> handing out CDs. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Lots of scripts float around and stuff. So, but anyway, that's yes. that's how we got him. We get all kinds of interesting right? people on the show. Like that. So it's always fun. Back when we were young. Well, yeah. Like were there, 80 years ago. <laughs> were there, 80 years ago. Were there any <laughs> comedians who were influences on you? Like, you you know, know what? I loved everybody. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, I loved uh, I, I loved every I loved mm-hmm. comedy. Right. I don't care slapstick. I loved observation. I, I grew up like Alan King, sure. and Jack Benny, yep. Bob Hope. But at the same time, uh, I loved political comics. Mort Saul. Sure. Oh or, yeah. You know, I mean Lenny Bruce. <laughs> I was just he was just going out as right. I was starting to become aware of stand up. Right. Um, I I I love comedy in general. I've I've had mimes and magicians make me laugh. But as far as influences, you know, obviously Steve Martin and that crazy world sure. that he could just suck you into. Right. And Richard Pryor. Richard right. Pryor was a major influence on right. me because the, the guy could keep it real, but at the same time he could turn around and right. do fantasy. And right. you'd go along with him. And yes. not a lot of comedians have that ability. Right. You know, if they keep it real, that's it. But he had an ability to talk about a German shepherd talking to him. Yes. And then go right into drug addiction and, <laughs> you know, prostitutes yeah. and heart attacks and, you know, amazing things. So those two definitely were. Is there anyone um, from your early days or your upbringing that did religious satire well? That you would point at and go, well, that's a guy who knew how to do religious satire? You know, uh, Will Durst out of San Francisco was kind of like my mentor at the time. Okay. He was around a lot when I first got started okay. in like 80, something like that. Right. He was in Cincinnati a lot. And uh, he was there doing a play, and he would come to the club that just opened okay. up there. And which was one of the rare ones. At a time in this <laughs> country, there was a club in Cincinnati... Right. One and two in Chicago and New York and L.A. That was it. Okay. So it was amazing. But yeah, Will Durst could uh, could hammer out some pretty. Okay. But he was always very challenging of the audience. You know, okay. He did a lot of political stuff and uh, and he's the one that actually warned me. Right. He's like, you know, look, you're right. you, it's hard enough, kid, in this <laughs> business. But if you're gonna go out there and really challenge the audience, and he said, right. for Christ's sakes, if you're gonna do political stuff plan to be writing every day right because and he goes and and he goes when reagan goes out of office i'm in trouble right you know because <laughs> i got an hour on him you know so um, so he was actually a big mm-hmm. influence and he was somebody that could do it rather well we mentioned bill i mentioned bill maher a moment ago is there anybody on the comedy scene now locally or television that you think handles religious Satire, making fun of religion. Um, does it well, well, there's so many good ones out there. Patton Oswalt does a tremendous job. Uh, right. You know, of course, I, I came up with uh, Bill Hicks also. Right. Who obviously, would tackle sure. all kinds of uh, material. Yeah, yeah. He he loved to challenge the audience. Who, and, uh, and Bill Hicks sadly passed away at a very young age, 30, 31, something yes, like that. Yes. Yeah. I, I I'm t- I'm too young to have seen him. I only know him from videos and documentaries. But it is said that. Had he not had his untimely demise, he would have been Bill Maher. 
Yeah, I, I, pro- <laughs> yeah, I could have seen him in a podcast, and because yes. he loved smoke, so I yes. could imagine <laughs> just uh, this little studio with right. a room full of smoke and him and a microphone. And, yep. But uh, he was great. You yep. know, he, he was born to do it. At times change, so it might be a little unfair, but I, I was once watching a Bill Hicks video, just one of his concerts, mm-hmm. and of course hilarious. But I got into that thinking formulaically. Where sorry for not expressing myself well. From a certain sector of comedy mentors, you'll be told you have to get six laughs a minute. And I don't think Bill Hicks got six laughs a minute. No. Because he would take his time to go through his material. Right, right. Um, You know what? I think that can be offset by hard laughs, too. Sure. He would get very big hard laughs. It's all what the audience will go with you. Right. And obviously, six laughs a minute is just like feeding them little nuggets and they're coming with you, you know. But somebody like Bill could be very compelling along the way. Yes. He could just drive the audience's attention. Mm-hmm. And then he gets such a hard laugh. Right. They stay with him with the next one. It's all about right. trust, you know, when sure. you do stand-up. The audience trusts you. Okay. There's nothing worse than going a long way and then <laughs> fizzle at the end. I mean, they're just, uh, you start into another one and they're looking at their watch. Yes. Especially these days. They got everything in the world to look at in the right. audience. They sit there and look at their phones. And uh, yes. and what's worse, be on stage and you're doing a bit and you look down and somebody's looking at you on YouTube doing a bit. <laughs> you're like, if you just give it a second, I'll do that for right. you. So. I saw a I mean, uh, headliner open for Brett Ernst, who was very nice to me and very hilarious. And he's kind of a storyteller, so he's also not like a six laughs a minute. No. He's a yeah. go through his material with confidence and get big laughs along the way. But he has this ending bit, which I won't even go into, but an audience member started heckling him to do the bit. You know, uh, do the uh, bit. Uh, Come on, just uh, do it all. And the guy was very drunk. Oh, yeah, of course. And so it turned into this like ugly, ironic situation where he, Brett, couldn't do the bit because he was being interrupted by the guy who was yelling <laughs> at him to do the bit. And it was like a 10-minute exchange. I, I saw, uh, saw Goldthwait uh, go through that once. <laughs> he does an impression of Bono. Okay. It is incredible. It's very famous. Okay. But I I had to watch him one time go, will you shut the F up? I'll get to Bono. I've got this hour I got to do first. You know, because it's, it's, it's funny that when you, you get a certain measure of fame and they know your bits, right. that's what happens. Right. You know, your own bits get in your, your way up there. Well, let me ask you one more question. I've been ending most of these interviews with just this very generic sounding question. Mm-hmm. We've been kind of talking about religious satire, dancing around it, bringing it up. Is there anything else about it that you would just want to say? Anything I didn't get to? Any comedians? Any jokes? Any advice or observations? For, um, for boy. Religious um, satire. You know what? I, I, here's the thing. I'm, 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 I'm all <laughs> for comedy. <laughs> I, I, as soon as you say there isn't a place for something or it's tough, right. somebody comes along and finds a way right. to do it. And and truthfully, comedy's all about communication. Uh, I'm all for it. Right. Uh, so uh, anything that truly gets a laugh, okay. and you don't have to get a laugh six times a minute. <laughs> you just have to be compelling up there and be interesting. And and you know what? Any more to be truthful, be authentic. Right. Because uh, people follow an authentic person. I've had a two, two or three comedians I've interviewed the, for this podcast have specifically said the reason they don't, you know, put effort into religious satire is because they're not religious people one way or the other. They're not, they don't have a strong feeling about religion, true or false. Mm-hmm. So it just is, it's not even a question of being like true to themselves. It's just yeah. who they are. Right. Yeah, right? sure. Sure. You know what? I still consider myself a religious person, but I I don't go along with uh, 
any particular religion. Right. Does that make sense? Sure. I mean, oh, I yeah. still find myself in prayer and meditation mm -hmm. and, and, and thinking about those things. Sure. Uh, I just don't put it out there to be laughed with or sure. at, you know, so. Okay. It's just all private to me, and that's the way I keep it. All right. So. <laughs> well, that sounds like a good note to end on. Thank All you right. very much, Chili, for spending a few minutes with me. Thanks very much, Doctor. Comedy is communication. Of course, it seems so obvious, yet how many beginners take the time to really think about it that way? Or, for my purposes with religious satire, how does recognizing comedy as communication apply to religious satire? It raises almost like a paradox about communicating serious points about such a serious topic through such a seemingly frivolous medium as comedy. I also appreciated Chili's behind-the-scenes take on Jay Leno and talking about Richard Pryor being able to do both reality and fantasy. Hey, thanks, Chili. Uh, before we finish up today, I'd like to make a quick trip over to the rabbit hutch. Me and my wife are rabbit enthusiasts. And in the last couple of episodes, I shared the sad news of the passing of Kevin Bacon, our rabbit, not the actor. Now I greet you with some good news. This past fall, we got a new baby rabbit called Kelvin. We wanted to wait a couple months to give Newton a chance to getting used to being without Kevin before trying to bring in a new rabbit. You know, well, rabbits have to go through a bonding period. In the wild, they have a very hierarchical structure. So we brought in little baby Kelvin. He's a Holland Lop with black and white spots. I'll put a photo of him up on our Facebook page. Um, you can leave a message, tell us how cute the baby Kelvin is. Um, but when you bring a new rabbit into your house, you have to go through a whole dating ritual. You have to keep them apart. You have to put them together for short periods. They have to get used to each other. And one thing rabbits do, which uh, if you've never had rabbits, you won't know this, is they display different types of dominance behavior. They're trying to establish who's the alpha bunny. And one of the ways they do that is by what can only be euphemistically referred to as humping. Yep, they'll just lay on top of each other and sort of force the other one down. And Newton is the older rabbit and is actually bigger, a couple pounds bigger, and was always dominating Kelvin. Kelvin would actually try to fight back. Sometimes Kelvin would try to climb on top of Newton and dominate him. So you give them periods together to explore this dominance behavior and to get used to each other. And then after a couple of weeks, you let them spend more and more time together. And now, uh, I'll tell you more about Calvin and Newton in future episodes, but I will just say they are now living together. They have their own cages, but their cages are open, and they share their food, and they share their cages, and they spend time snuggling together. Anyway, I've noticed that one of the last uses for old-fashioned paper newspapers is lining the bottom of rabbit cages. That's what we do. And a funny thing happens while doing that. I come across a lot of headlines. It's like I've gone back to reading the newspaper, but only at the bottom of rabbit cages. And there's one type of headline that really stands out to me. I see a lot of historical and factual misinformation out there about religion and newspapers and other news outlets because of the way most reporters treat stories about religion as soft journalism. Because of that, without even doing too much digging, you can find a lot of actual either questionable ideas or indeed factual errors in some articles on religion. Whenever I find any examples of these, I have to set the record straight because it's good for our souls to know things. And so what did I find today at the bottom of the rabbit hutch? Something a little different, so stay with me for a second. An article from the St. Louis Dispatch with the headline, 
Even as alternative medicine businesses grow, Skeptics Persist by Deborah D. Bass. I want to give Bass some credit in the sense that she tried to give like a balanced view. She gave the view of alternative medicine practitioners, especially these salt rooms, and then also explained why skeptics have their, you know, concerns. But I found the headline troubling because if you are a skeptic, this sentence doesn't make sense. It's a non sequitur. Whether or not alternative medicine businesses grow have nothing to do with their veracity, efficacy, accuracy, or anything else like that. So to say, even as alternative medicine businesses grow, skeptics persist is already misleading. Let me tell you more about the article. It's about a popular form of alternative medicine these days called salt rooms. If you haven't heard of this, it's a kind of a therapy where you spend like $100 an hour to set in a room with pink Himalayan salt bricks. They call this halotherapy, and proponents claim that it's a good treatment for allergies, asthma, stress and anxiety, and pretty much anything else, lice, monkeypox, cooties, whatever they say it'll clear up. Hey, when I first heard the word halotherapy, it made me think of the game Halo, except that in Halo you get to run around killing aliens, while in halotherapy you just kill your time, your bank account, and your chance to use real medicine. So here are some of the things I found in this article. First of all, the main ingredient is salt. And salt can be used for making crappy foods taste a little better, but I've never heard of it having any meaningful medicinal qualities. In this article, they interviewed a guy called Clay Jurassic, who has a chain of salt rooms in the St. Louis area, and the guy himself said there's no medical evidence that this therapy does anything, except that his clients really love it. That's it. His clients love it, and at $100 an hour, his wife loves it, and his accountant loves it, and I bet his Coke dealer loves it too. I'll let you insert your own Jurassic Park joke here. I want to tell Dr. Clay that in science, anecdotes are not evidence. If anecdotes were evidence, you could be like porn star Jenny McCarthy who said she got her PhD on Google. If anecdotes were evidence, you could get all your prescriptions on Facebook. Thank you, Dr. Zuckerberg. It's actually hard to find any actual doctors who will endorse halotherapy. For example, some people with asthma, like myself, some people with asthma like to use halotherapy. But the American Asthma Association on their website straight up says they do not recommend it, it has no benefits, and it might have negative side effects. Of course, you can't blame the American Asthma Association. They're in the pocket of Big Pepper. Now, I don't mean to rub salt into the wound, oops, bad Jerry, but the article presents only one actual doctor doctor who has ever publicly endorsed salt rooms, and it's a Russian doctor, and her name is, uh, with apologies to my Russian friends, Dr. Alina V. Chervinskaya, and not only is she a Russian doctor, she is also the person who invented salt room therapies. Funny fact, Chervinskaya is Russian for conflict of interest. You know, alternative medicine, in general, does not like being called alternative medicine anymore. My guess is that it sounds a little too bullshitty. So now they call themselves complementary medicine. That's the new buzzword for alternative medicine. As if a good compliment would cure what ails ya. You don't need to go to chemo. Just a hearty, you look fabulous, might cure your cancer. Alternative medicine, complementary medicine, I don't care what they call it. I wish they'd stop using the word medicine. 
Once you put the word alternative in front of it, it's no longer medicine. Just like you wouldn't eat anything called alternative meat. Unless it was deep fried at a carnival, then all bets are off. Hey, I guess they might deserve credit for trying. Maybe we should call it participation trophy medicine. I once got a participation trophy for field day in the third grade. Does that make me an alternative athlete? I found this article in the business section of a newspaper. But because halotherapy seems based on personal revelation and attractive hyperbole, it probably should have been in the religion section of the paper with other faith-based activities. In fact, instead of newspapers having sections like national, international, and local news, they could have sections for facts and reality and separate sections for fantasy news, you know, for Trump voters. Some of these alternative medicine practitioners will sometimes sue people who criticize them and speak out against their hokum and bunkum and nonsense. That's right, I said hokum and bunkum. Famously, chiropractors once sued the American Medical Association for restraint of trade. So I just want to say, if there are any complementary medicine practitioners within the sound of my voice, please, please sue me. Your services are bullshit and my career needs a bump. Hey, if salt had any medicinal qualities, you would see sick people trying to lick the road in the middle of winter. And I've never seen that, so that alone makes me suspicious. And finally, if you think sitting in a salt room for $100 an hour sounds great, for just the price of a tequila, or maybe three, we can find young men and women in every bar in America every weekend who will sprinkle salt on your rear and lick it off for you. And that sounds like some salt therapy we can all get behind. In fact, with the cost of health care in this country, that sounds like a pretty damn good idea. Road salt and tequilas for everyone. And that's what I found at the bottom of the rabbit hutch today. And when I see examples of misinformation, I have to speak out. I'm not trying to ruin anybody else's good time, but hey, it's not about your dogma, it's my karma. And I'm all about spreading the love. Having said that, it just remains for me to thank Chili Chalice for being our guest today on The Comical Heathen. I want to thank our rabbits for inspiring me to continue to read newspaper headlines. I want to thank my friend Jeff Geddett for his technical assistance and for providing additional written material. And that lovely Bach organ music you hear during the show is played by my friend Mark Bell. If you enjoy our music, you can purchase Mark's CD online. I want to thank you for listening. Uh, look us up on iTunes, look up our website, um, send us comments on Facebook, and I hope you'll join us again. I'm Dr. Jerry Jaffe. Thank you. B-22, B-22. <laughs>